This podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. They know you're here for good content, so they're not going to waste your time with a long pitch. Here are the three things you need to remember and know about Iron Source. Number one, they're developing the most robust data-driven growth engine for mobile games. Number two, their secret sauce is closing the monetization marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth. And number three, they have an awesome Medium blog and podcast called Level Up. You can find it on Medium by searching for Iron Source Level Up. Thanks. This podcast episode is also brought to you by AppsFlyer. Most of you are familiar with AppsFlyer. It's perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive marketing success. But what is attribution platform? Why do we need it? And why is AppsFlyer the best in the business? Brian Murphy, head of games at AppsFlyer. Can you answer these questions? Sure. Uh, right now, marketing budgets are being impacted. Uh, so the need for strong attribution and measurement partners is critical. Marketers should be focusing on what's working best. So mobile measurement and attribution partners who help provide uh, those insights are even more important. Mobile attribution platforms determine which campaigns, partners, and channels delivered each app install, and marketers rely on these insights to measure and optimize their marketing performance for both user acquisition and retargeting campaign. With one trillion in-app events measured each month, AppsFlyer is the most robust technology platform and mobile measurement partner for any game developer to distribute and engage their application to a worldwide consumer base. Our scale and data insights provide customers with unique ability to make informed marketing decisions. In short, AppsFlyer gives you the data and tools to market your games effectively. So there you have it, folks. Go to appsflyer.com and get yourself one of the best attribution platforms out there. Hey everybody, welcome to Twig 87. Today we've got myself, Joe Kim, Adam Telfer, Eric Kress, and we have a special guest with us today. Eric, could you introduce our, our special guest? All right, today we have David Hoppy, and David and I are friends for last, what, two or three years now, because we've both been part of the Bay City Basketball League with our children, and uh, we've been on the road together, we've stayed in hotels together, watched games together. It's been a lot of fun, and we are missing it dearly because the kids are going nuts at home doing nothing but playing Fortnite. Um, and even David, David's kid started to play Fortnite. He just, he just told me, which is a shocker because he was, uh, he'd held off for a long, long time. So anyway, but this season was our dream season. We had so many great players, but unfortunately not happening this, this season, although this week they're going to get together and start to practice a little bit. Anyway... So while we are on this big break, I've been spending all my time playing video games. And what did David do? He wrote a book. I mean, the guy is clearly an overachiever. So he is here basically to help us uh, kind of like get, get our head around some of this legal stuff that we've been seeing in the news. Because the last time we actually spoke about it in the podcast, he wrote me a note in much nicer terms that Stop talking about the legal stuff, you moron, because you don't know what you're talking about. So I thought we'd bring him on and he could probably go through some of this stuff and, and, uh, and talk through some of these issues that we wanted to see. And hopefully we all can get a bit more educated on some of this legal stuff and copyright stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, David, uh, anything you'd like to say? Well, yeah, thank you. It's uh, great to be on Twig. Um, I am a Long-time loyal fan of the podcast, uh, which I listen to religiously while walking my dog every night, um, pulling out those little bags, you know, um, 
while you guys are talking about, um, you know, uh, all sorts of interesting things in the game space. So my firm is Gamma Law, and we're based in San Francisco. Uh, work exclusively in selected cutting-edge media and tech business sectors. Uh, video games is probably our biggest area. So these are all demanding areas from a legal perspective because the business models and the laws are all changing so quickly. So we really value the opportunity to work with interesting companies. Uh, feel free to reach out to me through our website at gammalaw.com or on LinkedIn. Great. Thanks for that intro, David. And the articles we'll be covering today actually too are from David and from the, his website, Gamma Law. The first is Call of Duty Publisher wins First Amendment trademark suit against Humvee manufacturer, something that I believe we covered before, but we're going to get right this time now that we've got David on. <laughs> Second, Selena Gomez sues mobile game company for $10 million for stealing likeness. The third article is This is the PlayStation 5 by The Verge. Fourth, Valorant is performing below expectations according to Twitch stats by GameLife. And fifth, actually a post that I wrote called How to Build the Amazon of Game Companies from GG Digest. All right, but then just moving on to updates. Adam, I know you've got a few. So the first big update from Destiny 2. So they, they made a big announcement that they have plans for the next three years. Keeping with Destiny 2, there's going to be no commitment to you know, moving to a Destiny 3, which I think was the right decision. And I think it's officially making it a MMO with yearly expansions over trying to be a premium game with sequels. Um, so yeah, I think it's the right call. I just hope they can fix their progression and live content systems. I think players are just dropping too quickly with each one of their releases. Um, and even with that free-to-play version that came out last October, they should be able to actually retain a lot more players um, as you track that with the CCU on Steam um, and also have live content that pulls players back more often through the year. Uh, and right now that's not really happening. Um, one interesting tidbit is that the new expansion, which goes, um, which is actually adding a new damage type which I've actually found imperative for fixing a lot of their weapon issues. What do you know about damage type and weapons? Do you even play this game, Adam? Yeah, I do. Why? No. <laughs> anyway, I finally picked it back up again uh, because Division's kind of on a break. The next season's actually coming out tomorrow for Division. But, uh, man, I tell you, Destiny is amazing. Dude, that game, the gameplay is just incredible. And they seem to have streamlined content a bit these days. But uh, it seems easier to figure out what to be doing at any given time. But I still think you're right. I think the Elder game is a little bit jacked. They need to kind of redesign that a little bit. But I'm excited to see what they have coming. Um, it is just a beautiful game. And it, and it just plays so well, like uh, the shooting mechanics. So Yeah, especially when you're just coming from Division and then you switch over to Destiny. Yeah, exactly. It's so much smoother. <laughs> Destiny feels much better. <laughs> but yeah. Destiny's structured like a giant checklist, right? It's not really structured in any sort of free form, like I'm trying to go after this specific item way. Um, yeah, no, I think right. they've got a lot to work on. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think the, yeah, the gear system is just a little bit cumbersome as well, but still love it. Uh, second bit of news, Raph Koster's startup uh, landed 10 million now in funding to go after his vision. So this actually comes after a 2.7 million in seed that came last October. Um, back then, um, and I think he's still keeping with this vision, um, his underlying vision was that their retention was going to be based on pulling players back on a month-to-month -month basis using kind of the old MMO model um, and saying that the new model 
um, kind of attributed more to mobile games of trying to pe pull people back daily is outdated and burns players out. Um, that was the main um, criticisms that we had back in October, um, but we'll see where that goes. And lastly, Rovio has soft launched or, or fully launched small town murders. Um, back when we were actually talking about Rovio's financials, we mentioned that this game's actual RPI and download trend actually looked pretty good um, in relation to Rovio's uh, soft launch portfolio. So it'll be interesting to watch this. Um, and it's also interesting to note with a lot of these match three games, how they're kind of evolving into the direction and that most of hidden object games actually had for the last few years. Um, so this seems to be like the criminal case of match three. Um, so, but I, interesting. you know what I don't understand about this one? It's like, it's been in the U S for a while, right? It's been in the U S since April of 19. Yeah. Then, Rovio is then, a weird one where they actually soft launch in the U S. Yeah. But usually that's on Google. This was on Apple too. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't but, know why they do it, but they do it. I mean, the RPI looks decent, but these hidden object games just don't, make a lot of money this one's right. match three this isn't a hidden object game but it's both though isn't it some kind of adventure it's a combination of it no? structurally the meta has a lot of like narrative elements and if you look at criminal case there's some interesting bits there but it's a match three going after homescapes gardenscapes lily's oh, garden okay. just okay. without the decoration stuff all right then i'll take my comment back that i was going to make i think uh, that's a smarter move than going after a hidden object that's what the game looks like a hidden object game though so from the from the store but cool let's see if they can make some money all right and then a few updates from me first Joachim Akron who's a really good friend of ours at the Deconstructor Fund and who we've done a collab podcast with before has an excellent podcast with Christian Sagerstrahl on his Elite Game Developers podcast so definitely want to encourage you all to check it out and I'll leave a link in the show notes Second, Snapchat announced that 100 million Snapchatters have played Snap games. So Snap has an HTML5 games platform with currently over 800 apps. Now, there wasn't any mention in terms of engagement or actual usage statistics, but maybe something to keep an eye on just, just based on some of the, the early numbers that we're seeing. And third update for me is that I had mentioned this a while back about putting together a battle pass event. That's gonna happen this week, this Thursday. So if any of you guys are interested, I will also leave a link in the show notes. Anyway, so let's move right, uh, straight into the news. David, can we cover your articles? Oh, sure, yeah, uh, thanks, Joe. So in the news recently, we've had two cases against video games companies relating to the content of their games. The first was a trademark claim and was brought by the company that makes Humvees. Uh, case was brought against Activision relating to Call of Duty, recent Call of Duty games. Uh, and the second was a claim by celebrity Selena Gomez against a Chinese developer called 4Game. David, should we start with Selena Gomez or the Humvee article? Well, so I'm guessing the audience probably wants to start with, uh, with uh, Selena Gomez, but we're going to start with a Humvee piece that's probably in my opinion, a bit more interesting and maybe more relevant to, to most people. So a lot of developers who are making games that are set in real world environments feel like they need to include or should include things from the real world in their games, not surprisingly. So maybe this means some signs in the background or cars driving by that look like actual cars and not like something out of a cartoon. Uh, or maybe you want to make fun of a company so you include a modified version of their logo or something. 
but that uh, normally means paying a royalty. There are other situations though legally that you can include other companies' trademarks in your game even without getting a license. Uh, and this case is an example of one of those. The exception here may only apply to certain types of games, but it's a good example of when you can include third-party trademarks in your games. Um, before we get into the details though, it might be helpful just to step back for a minute and talk about what's happening here from a legal perspective um, because it uh, helps to understand what's going on, I think. Basically, you have two competing legal principles in these cases, and the question is how they should be balanced. Uh, first is the basic right of free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Now, some people may say, what does the First Amendment have to do with video games? But in fact, the U.S. Supreme Court has said that the First Amendment covers video games. In fact, it went further than that uh, in a case from 2011, which a lot of people probably remember. It said video games are expressive works like books or film. So video games communicate stories, ideas, and even opinions. And so they're highly protected under U.S. law. Now, the other, right. Go video games. Right on. That was a really good case, actually, back then. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people, you know, of our vintage, that's an important landmark in our career histories. So the other competing principle here is that rights of people to profit from things they've created or things that they own. And that includes companies that have built their own branding or developed their own IP like the Humvee. Uh, it also includes celebrities, which courts consider to have built their own public personas and are therefore entitled to profit from the use of their own brands. So, David, how do the courts actually decide whether you can include someone's trademark or a celebrity image in, in a game? Well, sorry to say it's not so simple, and partly that relates to our overly complicated court system. But uh, in the case of the Selena Gomez case, it's called rights of publicity, and that's a state law thing, which means that if you're sued in California, the result may be different than if you're sued in Oklahoma not to mention the fact that we have separate court systems for state law and federal law. But anyway, back to the Activision case, this is where AM General Corporation, which makes the Humvee, sued Activision for including images of the vehicle and dialogue references to Humvee in the last six Call of Duty games. But what, was the, what were they after? Did they, did, did they just want money? I mean, is that they just wanted the licensing fee for the Humvee or they wanted to just pull it completely? So my guess is that, uh, you know, I, I don't think they had any reason to, to, to have the game taken down or, or the, the Humvee taken out of the, of the game since they're not in the games business. And, you know, and their customers are, <laughs> are militaries around the world, right? The U.S. military and apparently 50 other countries. Um, so my guess is that uh, two things. First of all, they probably wanted money because this is a hugely profitable game, of course. Uh, and second, they probably felt like they needed to put a stake in the ground and protect their trademark rights, because uh, if you don't do that consistently, then a future infringer can come back and say, well, they don't really care about infringement in the past, so why are they chasing me? Right. And so Call of Duty used a Humvee trademark without permission, included images of the Humvee, and they didn't have permission seems like most developers have some kind of clearance review or legal process just to ensure that uh, there's nothing in the game that can get them sued. So why do you think Activision actually went ahead and put out this game with that liability risk? 
Yeah, I think that's a good question. That's quite interesting to me uh, as someone who's been involved in these processes uh, over the years. But um, I guess they decided that they really wanted to refer to Humvee in the dialogue. So, you know, quick, get in the personnel carrier would have been much less interesting. And there's really no other way to say it other than Jeep, but that's also a trademark. And anyway, it sounds like World War II rather than modern warfare. So they probably figured that if they're going to include the Humvee name in the dialogue, which of course they certainly knew was a registered trademark, um, they might as well include the images of the Humvees themselves. So of course they could have contacted AM General and said, how much would it cost to include the Humvee in our game? Um, I don't know why they didn't do that, but it was probably because they figured AM General would come back with a really high royalty number, given the profitability of the game. And one thing to know is that if you approach a copyright or trademark owner to ask for a license during the development uh, phase of your game, and ultimately you don't agree on a royalty rate or don't agree on the terms of an agreement, but you still keep the item in your game, you have dramatically increased the chance that A, you'll get sued, and B, the court will fight against you because it will be much harder to argue later on that you didn't think your game infringed. So just the question of whether or not to even contact an IP owner during the development process to ask for permission is one you have to carefully consider. So what was the Activision defense on this then? Well, their main argument was that the Humvee is just part of the imagery and the language of war today. And it's part of presenting a realistic picture of what it means to be in combat. Remember, a video game is an expressive work entitled to a high degree of protection under the First Amendment. So this wouldn't be just a case where they're selling toys that ripped off the Humvee design. They're telling a story on a matter of great public interest, according to the courts, which is military operations, the fight against terrorism, and et cetera. Okay, and what, what happened? Did the court accept that? Yeah, actually, so the court ruled in favor of Activision, um, basically based its decision on two things. First uh, is the argument that the Humvee is a sort of special case because it's just a you know, critical part of presenting a soldier's view of modern US military operations, which uh, as I said, is a matter of high public importance uh, in, 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 in the courts. And second, the fact that the trademark rights uh, are, the trademark rights in general are interpreted pretty narrowly um, basically, a trademark is there to protect against consumer confusion. So no one was going to be confused and think that Activision sells trucks. So what should the primary takeaway be for our listeners from this? Well, one thing that might be helpful to take away from this case is that if you're going to include someone else's trademark in your game, it's really going to be helpful if you can show that the trademark was important to presenting a realistic environment in the game and that you've been very careful in other respects to create that highly realistic environment. Yeah, well, quickly though, like the one thing that I remember, you know, at EA when I was back there was that Porsche and Ferrari and Lamborghini like actually wanted their cars in our Need for Speed game because it helped promote the uh what's the right word like the hope of every kid to own one of these things one day right you know it's like the and and so they were actually relatively 
generous in terms of their royalties because they know that it helped promote uh, their brand to a whole burgeoning potential audience or potential customer. So, I mean, that... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Eric, and I think we're, we're certainly seeing more of that uh, product placements as um, brands recognize the, the reach and the value of uh, games and reaching a demographic that doesn't watch uh, conventional media. So, you know, it could well be the case that when we do a, uh, a repeat of this podcast in 10 years, that uh, it's going to be the reverse question, which is, you know, how much, uh, how much money should I be getting paid to include Humvee in my game? Right. Yeah. Aspirational, right? They create aspirational brand recognition for Porsche, et cetera. That's kind of what, what we help negotiate with because I mean, it's true. Like you just, you fall in love with these games, with these cars, with these games. It's just, it's kind of remarkable. All right. So the next lesson, legal lesson is on Selena Gomez. That's right. So this is Selena Gomez versus four game. Uh, which is a China-based uh, developer that published the mobile game Clothes Forever Styling Game. And uh, I don't see the game in the uh, App Store anymore. Uh, Eric, I don't know, were you able to download it before? <laughs> of course. You know, my first, my first instinct. No, I didn't download it. Yeah. Well, anyway, the game uh, uh, was probably directed at a different demographic, um, but include, uh, included uh, images of a number of celebrities, including... Uh, one of uh, Gomez, and it was just a complete uh, ripoff of a magazine cover shot that she had recently done. They just flipped it, I guess, maybe to avoid um, being tracked by a, a bot or something. But anyway, uh, not surprisingly, she had not given them permission. To my knowledge, she hasn't actually appeared in, in any mobile game uh, to date with her permission. So this looks like a pretty obvious case of violation of her rights of publicity, which we mentioned earlier. And these cases come up all the time because everyone has a right of publicity, not just uh, big celebrities like Selena Gomez. Uh, this is the right to prevent others from using your image, your voice, et cetera, for their own commercial purposes, like in a game. So somehow someone's picture winds up in a game often in the background. And, and a lot of times what I've seen is a situation where there's a contractor maybe working for a developer and uh, he or she, you know, sees uh, someone's picture on the web. Maybe it's on a stock photo site or whatever and uh, thinks that um, they have the right look and they don't bother with the clearance procedures. So, you know, I've helped clients with, uh, with, with claims like this from regular looking people who uh, somehow wound up in a game and now they want hundreds of thousands of dollars. But of course, there's been a lot of these cases over the years by actual famous people, including um, not just in games, but uh, in other media as well. Lawsuits by Lindsay Lohan, General George Patton's estate, uh, bands like No Doubt and The Romantics, uh, college athletes, and many um, sort of B-level film and TV actors and other celebrities. But again, video games are protected by the First Amendment, so courts have to decide whether they value the developer's free speech right more than someone's right of publicity. David, how do they make that kind of decision? And just to bring about a specific situation, let's say, let's say I wanted to make a video game with a character that, I put a character in the game that looks like Trump. It's confusingly similar, and I call it Drump. Would I get sued for that? or potentially get sued? 
So the courts uh, give quite a, a lot of latitude, actually, when we're talking about a political figure. And so, you know, that's not to say that um, the Trump litigation team, you know, may not see an opportunity uh, to try to uh, to get this taken down. But uh, it, 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 as a general matter, you, you know, the courts are, are, are give quite a bit of latitude when they when they consider something political speech. But, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of different rules and tests that are used in different courts around the U.S. So even though this case looks like a pretty obvious ripoff, usually it's not so simple. So, you know, like you just said, Joe, maybe there's like a composite character. Um, maybe, you know, it has a name that sounds like someone famous, but, you know, it looks totally different or, and also you could have a situation where there's parody, right? Um, which often can be a good defense against a right of publicity claim. So generally, how, how should we interpret how the courts might decide any specific case that we as game developers would have if we're using something, a celebrity that may be confusingly similar? Uh, yeah, so it's a good question. Um, but, um, you know, and very often the answer is not very clear for the reasons I mentioned. But as a general matter, you know, most courts apply this uh, test they call the transformative test to try to evaluate whether the game was just ripping off the celebrity's image for commercial purposes um, or whether the game really had some actual creative elements that made the use more legitimate, you know, or some artistic value. There's a lot of flexibility in these cases and, and sometimes you can't help but think that um, the sort of public popularity of the plaintiff has played a role in the outcomes of these cases. So what can we take away from these cases? Well, so, you know, sorry to say this, but if you're considering including any references to a famous person in your game, you know, it could be a name that resembles someone famous or a character who maybe uses a phrase that's associated with a famous person. Uh, you need to first talk with a video games lawyer to evaluate the risk. Because unless you're Activision with a huge legal budget, you could very easily find yourself in a situation where you get a demand letter and you don't have much choice except to pay them or take down the game. So, uh, you know, back to Selena Gomez, I think it's pretty obvious she's going to win this one. You know, there's also going to be cases where you can get away with using some elements from a celebrity persona in your game with little or no risk. And um, that could add some real value to your game. So uh, it's just important to get legal guidance before you go forward. Those are words to live by. Always get legal guidance when yeah. you're moving forward. David, what if I created a game icon that looked confusingly similar to a celebrity? What would happen there? So that would really be the same situation as the Selena Gomez case. It just would be a smaller image uh, of her likeness. So yeah, that would not be advisable. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> In fact, it would be even worse because you would obviously be using the celebrity image to sell the game. You know, it would, would be hard to argue that there was some legitimate reason to have her face probably, uh, or All his right. face on the icon. All right, Eric? All right, thank you, David, for the lesson, the legal lesson for free. My pleasure. Um, Oh, was this for free? Yeah, it was for free. Oh, oh. We, we have no budget, a deconstructor of fun to pay. You. Uh, we right. can't even pay our uh, producer, Mr. Joseph Kim. 
Anyway, so we're moving on to PlayStation 5 announcement. So they had a big reveal last week and it went swimmingly well, I thought. I thought they had a really solid showing. I think there was some disappointment generally on the console itself. I think it was a little bit divisive in terms of the, the style. Uh, it looked kind of like a gaming router is what a lot of people thought. I, I imagine that years, you know, next year we'll probably see a toned down version that'll be all black like every other console. <laughs> so, um, but that, 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 that design will likely appeal to a broader audience. But for now it's super cool, but it kind of looks like a toy in my view, but um, maybe I'm getting old. Uh, as expected though, there are very, very few exclusives uh, and nothing really blew me away except uh, the Horizon Zero Dawn thing looked amazing. Like that truly looked next gen. The other game that was a highlight was Spider-Man, which you couldn't tell from the video or even the coverage afterwards, but this is gonna be a cross-gen game. First of all, it's the same engine and the same world as the last game. It's just, it's basically a, it's an expansion. It's not even a, a real standalone game. And I, and I think it's coming to both PS, I'm almost certain it's coming to both PS4 and PS5, despite the coverage. Uh, Gran Turismo, which will also be cross-gen, they look like it didn't, it's not gonna make it. It looks like they're gonna push that out past holiday. Um, and then the two generation exclusives that we did see were Project Athea and Godfall. And I'm not really quite sure if any of those are going to make it at launch, to be honest. Maybe Godfall, not, not sure. But all, all the rest of the games I think they showed were cross-gen or PC or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the biggest bizarre part of this announcement was why in the heck are they showing a PS3 game in the first take of a ps5 <laughs> reveal i mean it makes no sense so gta 5 comes out there and they announced that they are making a skew for the ps5 which is no big surprise and that they're giving away a million dollar a month for all ps4 users until it comes out on ps5 again i'm not really quite sure why this was the first thing in the presentation this more feels like a kind of a press release after the fact um but nonetheless uh we know gta 5 is coming to PS5, big surprise. Um, at first though, <laughs> I was looking at this thinking, oh my God, are, are they really gonna announce a, a GTA 6 like on this thing? Cause I've been saying pretty adamantly that the GTA 6 is not coming out for years. Um, so I, it freaked me out and I think got people excited for a moment, but no, that is not happening. Um, the other thing that really surprised me uh, was uh, off my expectation is that the, the app, addition of a digital only SKU uh, for PS5. So, I mean, they are just insanely copying Microsoft because Microsoft has been talking about this for a while. And so it, it's kind of crazy that they, uh, they're, they're doing this. Generally, I would have never expected them to do this because I think they are far more retail friendly than Microsoft. And that digital only SKUs are kind of like the worst possible world for uh, for retailers because retailers make very little money on consoles they make more all their money on software so putting a digital skew is just kind of goes against them it's kind of big fu to retailers so not quite sure what the strategy is going to be on here i'm sure it's a pricing related thing or perhaps uh it'll be a that that skew will only be available um online etc i don't know but we'll see and other than that you know jackson daxter got people excited um some people love hitman that was there Demon Souls remaster. I just don't quite understand the appeal, Adam. Um, but I think the real stars of the show were Spider-Man and Horizon. 
And again, I think this is a very typical launch lineup. There's, it's pretty thin in general. And the only real surprise for me on the third party side is I don't know where the hell Call of Duty was because Activision have, and Sony have been bosom buddies this whole last generation. And uh, I don't know why they wouldn't be there. I, I imagine it's likely that Treyarch couldn't get it together. I think they're struggling right now, but, um, but they, Call of Duty should have been there. And I, EA wasn't there at all. And I think likely because they're doing their own event. But um, anyway, that's kind of my take on it. Any other thoughts out there? Yeah, for me, I think the biggest takeaway was really that digital only skew and just having the Xbox One digital, it, it's like you can never go back. So if, if coronavirus wasn't the nail in the coffin for GameStop, I mean, this has got to be it. So yeah. Yeah, I, dude, that's just like, that's like shots fired, right? I mean, if it's a cheaper skew, like everyone's going to push, it pushes everyone to exactly. digital, right? And yeah, so it's exactly. Because they have to drop the price for it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the only reason you do that, right? Is to, you know, reduce the bill of materials. I mean, it's not going to be by much, maybe 50 bucks. Even that is, is yeah, enough to convince people to go and make it, you know. Yeah, I would personally pay more for it. It's just so much more convenient. And, you know, I've got like 50 cracked DVDs in my, in my online. <laughs> you pay right? more for it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just more convenient. It's, it's, it's better. It's a better user experience. But anyway. That's for sure. Adam? <laughs> you haven't bought too many games for Christmas, have you? Um, okay, so my read on this was it was far better than Microsoft's, right? Like comparing this to Microsoft's, there was just a lot more excitement around this in terms of just focusing on game announcements with real gameplay that shows off what next gen can look like. Um, and my worries from Sony being pretty silent for months is, is gone at this point. Um, and just besides the GTA 5 thing, which was weird, the bug snacks thing, I don't know. Did you watch that, Eric? Yes, 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 yes. What was that? <laughs> bug well, snacks? I, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to like go off on the indie thing, but like the whole middle part with all the indie stuff, I, I, I never really understand that for these big, big announcements. I mean, the, <laughs> the level of appeal yeah. of these games is so small. Like why... Why do you have 10 of them, right? Just do three exactly. of them or do some montage, right? Don't just, don't just throw like, you can't give Spider-Man and some bug snack shite the same kind of like airplay. It doesn't make any sense, you know? Uh, so That's I, what I was really worried. It was like, it was kind of odd. It's how much they indexed on these like indie games. And I think, sure, they can showcase the next platform, hopefully, and they can show like what types of art styles are on there maybe some of these early adopters to next gen actually are more likely to buy games like indie games. But overall, most of these games didn't look next gen. And even in the case of like bug snacks and stuff, they didn't really even look like all that different gameplay that you get everywhere else. That, that yeah, one, that it, one just looked weird to me. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's kind of filler, right? They got to fill a show, right? If they don't have anything yeah. else to show them, that's what they put on there. Right. Yeah. And the Spider-Man thing was a bit weird, right? Like it's it's similar to the Uncharted expansion, Lost Legacy. It's not actually like a full game, right? Um, and at the end of the video, it says PlayStation exclusive. And I think they just kind of use smoke and mirrors to make it feel like it's PS5 exclusive. And I, it's not. I, what was remarkable about that is that, I already said this earlier, but like the coverage after the fact, I read through all these different articles, none of them are even alluding to the fact that this thing's going to be available on PS4, right? So, but do you think it'll be PS4 day one, or do you think they'll launch PS4 like next year? No, I think I think it is a PS4 title, right? 
that they're yeah. putting on PS5, you know? And I just, just why don't get, oh, by the, the way, messaging? Yeah, the, the, the one thing that I did get wrong is I thought Gran Turismo was the hero skew for, for launch, right? And that Spider-Man was coming later, but it's actually the opposite. And actually, Spider-Man is a better launch title, in my opinion, uh, to drive people to it. So perhaps mm. they will just put it on PS5 this holiday, but it's only because they can and they want to sell PS5s. But the fact of the matter is that this thing's going to run on PS4, right? Because it's built on the same engine, right? So anyway. Yeah. But nothing was announced about PC. I'm assuming none of this stuff comes to PC for a lot later. All of it's coming to PC. Immediately. You're saying day no. one Spider-Man is on no, PC. No, 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 no. I'm just, no, I'm just trolling. <laughs> and Demon Souls, I'll get you to play it. <laughs> no you can way, play Demon man. Souls Remastered with me. <laughs> I, I booted up those th three of those games, and I've just died and bombed out and like you probably just quit after hour. the first werewolf in bloodborne you're just like nah seriously I'm not dude, gonna deal with this <laughs> that's too frustrating yeah. anyways um minor point uh everybody's speculating about the size right like they're using the disk drive size to kind of uh, scale it up and everyone thinks that it could be over a foot in size so this is much bigger than a gaming router this looks like it could be the biggest console ever Right. Really? Um, yeah. Like people are actually using the disk drive size and using that to kind of model out what the actual size would be. It looks like it'll be taller than the PS3. So if you remember the original launch PS3 was oh, a behemoth. God, that was a monster. Yeah. It's going to be bigger than that. Yeah. Um, and then you look at it right next to Xbox Series X. That one looks like a PC, right? That That's a big box, the Xbox X. But the PS5 will just be taller and thinner. But that's what next gen looks like. It'll take up. You'll need a new media center for this. Yeah, I think both of them are looking more and more like PCs. You know, like they're not looking like consoles anymore. I, yeah. I don't know, but I don't, I don't mind that. Whatever. But they need a, a they need a more adult friendly box for your media center, right? I'm even looking at my media center, and I'm like putting that blue and white thing on my fucking media center. It's gonna look like it's gonna look terrible. Yep, yep. you're gonna put it on the floor next to it. <laughs> Or I'll have to cover it with a sheet or something, you know? I don't know. Yep. Hey. <laughs> uh, at least there's no, um, what was the movement tracker thing? There's no more of that stuff anymore. <laughs> well, okay. That was the other crazy Connect. shit. That's what it was, yeah. No, no, no. They had the eye. What the fuck are they doing? They're selling this camera again. Like, why Why is that even there? It makes no sense. The, uh, the, the headset looks amazing. Uh, oh, and the other big omission out of this thing was the VR thing like nowhere to be found like vr is gone and my understanding is that none of the teams internally are working on vr anymore that's like doa um but wow. the fact that they're not even throwing that out there as an option that's that's kind of abandoning yet again a peripheral peripherals are hard you know you know like they had wow. the move that died the mm -hmm. playstation i is surviving but the <laughs> vr is done um anyway that's a tough business to be in but their headset's really good, and uh, the controller looks cool, although it's the same freaking controller. And anyway, yeah, it was a good, it was a good show. I think it got yeah. people yep. hyped up. Uh, Valorant, um, performing below expectations according to Twitch stats. So Game Life reported this based on the Twitch numbers, that Valorant, since its pre-launch period, has fallen on Twitch, and that it's indicating that the game is underperforming expectations of Riot. Uh, my read on this is that that's probably not the case. 
it's likely that Riot was very, very happy with the position that it got pre-launch um, with their shift towards that digital event um, and uh, going with all those streamers um, with the pre-beta keys. But I think now they're just taking the long view, right? Like now it's it's the come, stay, pay model. They managed to check off the box for come. Now it's all about how do they retain players through stay and then eventually get them to pay. Um, so I think they're going with the long view here. The data is, is that from its peak of about 1 million average viewers at the beginning of the beta, they're down to about 60 to 70K. So just on the face of that, it sounds like a pretty massive decline. But in reality, it's, it's, it's falling from a first place to seventh place on Twitch. Um, it's falling underneath CSGO, underneath Warzone now, and underneath Fortnite, but it's still above Apex. Um, it'll be important to kind of watch this and see where it stabilizes as well as which streamers continue to pick it up. Because I think a lot of the bigger name streamers that just kind of like hopped on the bandwagon, especially when the larger audience was there, um, they've all kind of left, especially like Dr. Disrespect, Tim the Tat. Um, as well, I think like just, just looking at this decay at this point, I think it has to be expected. Um, Valorant's pre-launch Twitch numbers were inflated because of the beta. Um, and I think this just says, okay, Valorant is likely going to be a top 10 Twitch game, uh, but not Fortnite level success. Um, so the current signals are now that Valorant won't be as big as CSGO and the top free to play shooter from this year and the winner of the COVID bump is likely Warzone, not Valorant. Um, and I think if you watch Warzone's Twitch numbers, they've actually remained pretty steady, which is very, very impressive. Uh, the likely situation here is that Valorant's Twitch and DAO has also come back to reality. So they now are at the start of a long journey. And I would just say that the key signals that I'm watching for is bumps in their Twitch coming from their big live content drops. So they launched a new character, they launched a new map, they launched a new, new mode at launch and actually didn't create any spike. Um, I didn't see anything, uh, which isn't good. I think that's actually the news here. And I think that's a stronger signal for me that um, they need to grow um, or they're gonna continue to decline. So I think Riot should be scrambling now to try to figure out what type of live content, events, ranked modes, et cetera, they can use to spike engagement and maintain the baseline. Eric? Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, what do people expect out of this thing, right? So, you know, it's a copy of Overwatch and CSGO, you know, um, not sure how huge an audience like this is going to be. But, uh, you know, there's a big audience, clearly a big audience for CSGO. Uh, but, you know, I still think this game can probably exist and, and cater to a small audience, similar to like Rainbow Six and Apex. Um, and maybe they can figure out the monetization thing along the way. But yeah, I guess if they continue to support the game, it'll have a niche following and maybe they can make some money. And I guess the good news is, is that something this small will likely never cannibalize League. <laughs> You know, just too small of a game to like really uh, hurt league in any way, I guess. But uh, anyway, I mean, I think this the hype of 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 their really, 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 really smart marketing campaign on Twitch. It just can't possibly meet the, that level. The game is just too freaking hardcore, you know. And anybody that tries it's going to realize that this is fucking impossible. I'm getting my ass handed to me, and they're going to move back on to Fortnite and even Warzone, which is a much easier game to play, right? So anyway, do we have any idea of what kind of revenue the game is doing? I mean, not yet. Okay. So, I mean, I'm sure I mean, the, you know. Top uh, ten game is still pretty good, right? Well, 
top 10 game on viewership, right? Do they right. even have monetization in this game? I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't played it. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't looked at it. I, I actually, I meant to go look at it to see what kind of monetization they have in there. And I know that Adam knows what it is, but he left. So moving on. All right. So last article is how to build the Amazon of game companies. This is a post that I actually wrote. So kind of pimping my own post for this week. And I posted this on the GG Digest newsletter. And it's really about the long-term defensibility of game companies. The, the main point of which is to say that in tech, We've got companies with massive moats around their business. For example, the fang companies of Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. These are highly resilient and very durable long-term companies. And competing against these kind of companies is basically nearly impossible. And you can imagine these are companies that if any company is going to be around in the next 100 years, these are the companies that will be around. And I think one thing that we found out during this coronavirus period was just how fragile many companies are in terms of like when something goes wrong, we've got a lot of companies that were over leveraged. We're not investing in R&D. We're too tactical and opportunistic. And when I thought about our own industry in terms of video game companies, I felt there were few companies that were thinking like Amazon, like Facebook with a longer term perspective. And while we do have a few companies with a bit more of a long-term perspective like Supercell, the key question is whether there are any companies in gaming that have that kind of defensibility relative to thing-like companies. So anyway, not to go into this too much more, but I try to analyze uh, the defensibility of these com companies based upon a framework that was developed by the venture capital from NFX that looks at four different kinds of defensibility in terms of like economy of scale, brand, embedding, network effects. But uh, just wanted to encourage other folks, if you're interested in this type of thing, to uh, I'll leave a link in the show notes. But I think this is, uh, for me personally, a very interesting topic and seems like a few folks who have read this have been messaging me a lot about it. It seems like it's very controversial and I would really like to hear more thoughts and comments about this topic. So if you are interested in this stuff, please feel free to message me. And I'm also going to try and put together a follow-on podcast to talk about this in more depth. All right. Does that wrap it up? I think that's it. All right. Thanks, David, for coming on board. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. Catch y'all later. Have a good week, guys. Bye.